for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM 103.7. Uh, good afternoon. We are back. It's Sarah here, Cheryl Shaw, and please make way for our big winner. Yes, drum roll, please. He has taken out the big award, and God forbid I get it wrong. Practitioner of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, f- and you've taken out the award for the Federation of Asian Small Animal Veterinary Association. That, that was at, at the Fasava conference, yes. But it was I wasn't the Asian one; I was the Australian. <laughs> you were Australian practitioner no, there was, of the year there was at another, that conference. Yeah, there was another Australian vet who actually won the Fasava Practitioner of the Year. So across all of the Asian countries, including Australia. But um, you were the Australian but I, winner. Oh, yeah, I know. How fun was that? Congratulations. That is brilliant, I've David. been you practicing be for a long time. <laughs> How many years? How many years exactly? Uh, 28. Wow. Well, well no, we're still very... Pra- still practicing. Vi- yes, of course. Very proud of you, aren't we, Cheryl? We We've are. just been talking about oh, it today. It's great. Yeah, Thank we you. have noticed Thank a bit you. of a spring in your step today. Oh, I've got a little thing in my shoe. I've got to clean that out. But, yes, no, it, it was a fantastic... I, I went to a conference, uh, which was the FASAVA. We'll shorten it from yes, the Federation yes, of Asian yes. Small. It was the FASAVA conference, which uh, is on every year, but it hasn't come around to Australia. It's probably, I don't know how many years. I don't want to get it wrong, but it's at least five or six years since it's been here. And uh, next year's in Singapore. I think I might have to head to that one because that looks great. Well, apparently you did a speech and it was quite well received as well. So you may be off giving more speeches overseas. I was very lucky. I did get to say a few words um, in receiving the award, which is totally humbling, I have to say, because the, the, uh, you know, the alumni of people who've gone ahead and, and, and received this award in previous years. And I remember sitting there last year at the awards listening to the recipients and hearing what they'd done i thought oh who's got time for all of that (laughs) but it it was great because um yeah got approached to um hopefully we might look at going and talking at a few places about how we do things in our hospital and you know some of the principles that i've brought to practice over the last 28 years. Well, we're very humbled to have you here on Pet Chat. You know, we've got such a wealth of knowledge here answering your questions. If you want to get in early today, because I'm thinking the phones might run off the hook now, 49216216. Look, we will get into it, but very briefly, what are we chatting about today, David? So it's that time of the year. I'm going to talk about uh, tick treatment, the tick poisoning, and there's actually quite a bit of new information, so hopefully we'll get through a lot of that. But look, one thing that we do have issues with is scratching, Cheryl. We're talking about dogs and and their scratching of people and furniture. Not just dogs, because we also have other animals that scratch as well, like our cats. Often when we're walking down the hall, our cat will jump out and scratch us or, you know... (laughs) Very true. And what actually happens with our cats... um, and our dogs, when, when they scratch us, they can do damage, particularly if we've got um, children or we've got elderly people, their skin is really fragile. And the other thing that happens is some cats and dogs scratch on furniture and obviously damage the furniture. But there is a great solution to help with this. Back in 1990, a uh, Dr. Tony, Toby Wexler, he was a vet, or he is a vet, and he developed some little vinyl caps that go over the, the nails of both cats and dogs. And you can also put them on rabbits and ferrets as well, which oh, wow. is another sort of sideline if you've got a rabbit that may be kicking. Now, these little caps 
they still allow the animal to um, stretch if it's a cat and scratch but the caps are soft so they don't allow any scratching of the furniture or marking of the furniture or scratching your skin causing it to bleed and obviously to, to become sore. They're a great way to prevent that damage that, you know, your floor, your floorboards, things like that with dogs. Often people with um, polished floorboards complain about their dogs scratching the floors. So these caps just sit over the, the um, top of the, the animal's nail and they're adhered with a special adhesive. That adhesive is, um, it's, it's very, very safe. It's non-toxic. It's, um, and it's, so it's not going to damage the, the pet's claws or the skin around them. The, they usually last about four to six weeks. It'll just depend on the animal. So if it's a dog that's outside and digging, they're not going to last as long. Okay. But certainly they last about four to six weeks. Um, with cats, because cats actually shed the outer sheath of their nails. So, you know, periodically they're shedding those. So obviously the caps will come off when they're shedding their, um, their nails. But they are a great way to stop that. Um, scratching. So Cheryl, why would you go these over? So I know with our dogs we can get their, their nails trimmed. Yes. Um, I don't know. What's the go with cats? Are we meant to trim their nails or not because they they use them so much? I'm just wondering yeah. why you'd go the caps over okay. cutting so, the nails. So with, with nail cutting, yes, we can cut the nails and we can also file it, which takes those rough edges okay. off. But with a cat you should be cutting their nails unless you've got a cat that's outside a lot. You have some cats that in the neighbourhood there's some really feral cats that you know pick fights. So those cats actually need their claws as a defence mechanism. But if you have an indoor cat that's really ideal situation to have those claws um, you know, capped over or you can as you said you can cut those nails some people are very hesitant to cut nails because they're afraid that they're going to cut into the quick or they will cut into the quick um, but you can certainly go along to your vet or your groomer and have those um, nails cut but the soft paws are a great alternative and it's a really good way um, for homeowners to you can buy these online they're really easy or you can again you can get your vet or your groomer to to pop them on um, but if you're fitting them on the cat it's usually a good idea to have a second person helping. <laughs> yes, I could imagine that. <laughs> because they, sometimes they don't want you to do it. They, they come in beautiful colours too. They do. Look, yeah. not just plain colours, there's patterns mm. as well. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. can get pretty fancy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hot pink. Yeah. yeah. And Siamese, you know, they're intense blue eyes. They need that intense blue cap on they their nails. They look amazing. Oh, my goodness. They look goodness. amazing. I'm you know, it's, have to have a look. it's interesting um, because talking about this reminded me of a patient or a scenario with a client I saw back in. Did I say how old I was? Um, <laughs> no, only was, how long you've been practicing. Okay, yes. this was back in about, I think it was in about 90. 899 and um, what happened was that a cat had scratched a child and subsequently the child developed an infection in a lymph node and um, it turns out and actually I saw a nurse who a vet nurse of who actually developed a big ulceration on a hand from a similar thing but this child when they went to the doctor the, the doctors were worried that this child had cancer oh. and it turned out that there's a there's a bacteria that lives under the nail of kittens Okay. Called Bartonella, and it's actually carried by fleas between cats and so on, um, and it's excreted in in the um, flea poop as it, as it happens. And so when the cat's grooming, they're spreading it through. And um, so another good reason to use good flea control. Mm. And it's it's interesting because it's particularly in kittens, so it's up to around about twelve months of age, and it probably that the adult cat develops some immunity. 
but the cat is not actually infected by it. They're just a carrier. They're a carrier. Okay. Um, mm. So the, the point about saying with young kids and elderly, I've actually seen the impact of this on, on children and obviously on families. It's yeah. quite devastating. But, I mean, it is treatable. Um, but you just don't want to go there. Yeah. So and David, I've a seen a idea. lot of that as well with groomers because when they're grooming they cats, scratched. they get scratched and they end up in hospital and you know mm. on antibiotics and it's really yeah, it's mm. really quite serious. But look, these little caps you can fit them on kittens from twelve weeks of age, so it's a really great idea. And then they just fall off as yes. the, they as, shed. Yes, yeah. 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 So they're becoming more and more popular, Cheryl. Absolutely. Are you finding that yeah. that people with younger families or older yeah. people are coming in and yes. getting them done regularly? And the other thing is too, if you're getting a new puppy and you have a cat and you're worried because you know how cats will just swipe out and they can do ocular damage or eye damage we, it's a great idea if you're getting a new puppy and you've got that cat that might not be so happy to soften those claws so that there's less damage but yeah they're really really popular you know they're safe they're non-toxic you know they look pretty <laughs> yeah. you bl- can bling up your cat bling up the cat oh, yeah. yeah I like it so I think it's a great way for you know to save that problematic <laughs> behaviour of scratching your furniture scratching you or granny or anybody else it's a really good al- alternative to um, cutting the nails and making everything safe but we are looking at tick season and they do seem to come out as it warms up David you obviously see an increase yeah. in tick bites and, but you're right it is all year round because the optimum breeding temperature for ticks is 13 degrees Celsius so there's always going to be an opportunity for that to happen. But we see this really big surge. So it's it's kind of like September, October is the big month, November, and then it actually gets too dry. Okay. And ticks, are the Ixodes holocyclus tick is a soft-bodied tick, so it dries out. Um, so the numbers drop right off in December, January. So now's the time to make sure that, um, you know, if you've got uh, long vegetation in your backyard because they can be swept in or brought in on the wind or brought in by uh, native animals and birds included, lizards and bandicoots, possums, all of that. Um, If you take your dog for a walk and you go near long grass or bushy areas, always make sure you're checking your dog every single day, walking your fingers through their coat for 10 minutes, concentrating on the area in front of the shoulders, so the head and neck. Yeah, um, and so they love getting in the ears, don't they? They love getting in the ears in the warm eyes. area, uh, and they, you know, they can attach and they start feeding and they're injecting the toxin, which has devastating effects. Dogs are actually one of the most sensitive creatures to the tick uh, holocycler toxin, it's called, um, and we're learning more and more about it all the time. Um, one of the things that's really, I guess, come out recently, there's two things. One is the re- uh, release of uh, some newer preventatives, so they're called the. I've got to get this right. Iso salines. I probably, I probably said it wrong. Um, they're actually um, on the market in terms of uh, preventatives. You're talking about things like Brevecto and Nexgard. Um, they're the newer ones. And now the interesting thing about those products is uh, at the Fasaba conference last week. Um, Dr. Georgina Child, who's a neurologist from um, SASH in Sydney, was talking about and showed this picture of, I forget which year it was, 2013. So before they came out and they, through tick season, they had five dogs on ventilators every day. Oh, wow. Like when they, these dogs are so badly affected, wow. they're coming in late and, and they need to be on life support. And a lot of those will recover, mind you. You know, we've got like an 80 to 90% survival even at that late stage. Oh, do we? Wow. Yeah, if we can get there, then we can give them a chance. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
but otherwise untreated, it is a fatal disease. And then she showed the image from last year and she said we had two for the whole season that went on a ventilator. And they're putting this down to the new treatment? It's the only thing that's changed. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it has significantly reduced the number of cases. Now, we didn't see as much... Um, impact in the hunter because last year we actually analysed our figures and looked and we we did have um, about the same or a slight increase in tick patients compared to the years before Uh, but I think we're going to see some impact it really comes down to compliance to owners using the products using them correctly frequently and making sure they check their pet all the time so that's kind of the number one big thing and most of the treatments are monthly now is that correct um, for, for ticks yeah and you know you consult with the um, supplier they will have um, you know obviously directions on there's monthly there's three monthly you know you've got to make sure you use them appropriately like if you use a monthly product and put it on every three months it ain't going to work no that's you know right. and and even even if you use a preventative you will still run the risk if your pet is in a tick area you can still get ticks. You still need to be checking daily still need if you're, to check if you're daily. out in those high-risk areas. Ten minutes. Uh, so that was the first thing. Um, the second thing that's really come out is that last year, uh, one of the companies um, uh, sponsored a, a panel of veterinarians, academics, practitioners, specialists, neurologists, uh, parasitic specialists, pharmacologists, all got together in Sydney over a weekend and went through all of the evidence that's available about you know, what's the best? Because there's no consensus guidelines on how we should treat ticks. So, I mean, I've been working in emergency for 15 years and every single time I see a patient with tick poisoning, the client says, oh, my last vet did it this way. Okay. And you're doing it this way. So it's not uniform. No, there is no uniform. And unfortunately, I, th- I guess because it's an Aust- Australian disease, unique to Australia, you know, we just don't have the population where we've got a lot of research. Um, so we have actually accumulated, particularly at the University of Queensland, uh, they've been doing a lot more research over the last 10 years, and that's why this panel was able to come together. And they put together the best evidence guidelines. And, look, some of the evidence is well backed up. There's a lot of research for it, and some of it is, you know, we're the experts in the room and we decided that this looks like okay. the best approach, but it's based on... You know, this is like um, 300 years of experience sitting in a room. Yep. So you've got to listen to them. Yeah, sure. Um, so what are they saying <clears throat> now then? So I guess, and Cheryl and I were just talking about this before, look, for most patients that come through our door with tick poisoning, not much is going to change, okay? Um, we're going to rely on tick anti-serum is our basic the thing that's going to turn these around. So that's made from dogs that have had ticks loaded on them and then we purify their blood where they develop immunity. And just as a point, those tick dogs that are, uh, that are treated and we take the blood to purify, they actually can and will succumb to tick poisoning after six months. So the immunity actually wears off because I talk to people and they say, oh, my dog doesn't get tick poisoning because it's immune. It doesn't last. Right. <clears throat> okay. Okay. So, you know, that's maybe... That's a phallus. That's not... That's maybe, not some, maybe something else has happened. Um, so... You know, we rely on tick antiserum, absolutely. We rely on good nursing care. And we're going to get really good success rates. So the areas that have changed is the very mild cases. So dogs that come in, they may have no symptoms or very mild symptoms. You've taken a tick off either at home or at the vets or at the groomers. But now the recommendation is that those animals should get treated. And I'm sorry, I'm saying dogs, and it should be dogs and cats. Um, 
they should get treated. I was going to... So they should, because I was going yes. to ask you that. We've, you know, we've taken a tick off Gizmo once. He had no symptoms yet, yes. and I phoned the vet and... Probably said, oh, look, keep an eye on him. Kept an eye on him, didn't take him in. The problem is that a number of those animals will deteriorate. Right. And see, there's there's a thing here is the the risk is that we're just relying on the pet owner to be there and watching their pet. To monitor, yeah. For the next 12 to 24 hours. And, you know, you've got things to do. You've got life and maybe you go to bed, whatever. Depends on the time of day. So... What we're saying is that that's a risky thing and we have enough experience now to know that some of those animals are going to deteriorate. So the recommendation is go ahead. If they don't go ahead with tick treatment, then hospitalising for 12 hours. So so they can be watched. So they can be watched so that if something does happen, uh, then we can treat them. So, David, if I was to bring in um, my dog, I'd taken the tick off, there was no symptoms yet, you wouldn't treat with anti-serum unless he got... No, unless he detects. Oh, you would straight away. Okay. And and part of that is that the the toxin is excreted by the tick into the lymph system in the dog, picked up in the tissue fluid, and it ends up in the bloodstream, and then it goes to the nerves. So they only produce symptoms like they start to look sick when it hits the nerves. The tick antiserum, the antidote, only works on the bloodstream. Oh, okay. So if it goes from the bloodstream to the nerves. Why do we wait for them to get sick? We should be treating it while the toxin is in the bloodstream. But on the other hand, a lot of people don't realise until they can see symptoms, sure. but it is still going to be effective, sure. you say. And look, the earlier we can 80%. get the treatment, earlier, well, that's the ventilator patients. Okay. So the earlier we get the treatment in, the better. And so with those animals, we're looking at much higher, uh, you know, survival, 99%. Okay. And I'd have to check the numbers, but in my experience, there's a very few number that develop complications. On the other hand, the the other change, I said not much happens with the dogs in the middle as far as severity goes. On the other hand, the dogs that are very severe, the ones that that can't stand at all, that are having trouble breathing, they've got their neck out, we treat those and those dogs we need to treat as a critical patient. Sure. And some of them need to be on life support with artificial ventilation breathing. And, um, you know, we, we've uh, actually done a training in our hospital recently. Um, one of the, the co-chair of the panel who wrote the guidelines, we flew him down from Brisbane to come and train our staff on uh, ventilator medicine. Um, spent a whole day doing that. And so um, those dogs have to be treated as a very critical patient because they are very critical and they will die with pneumonia, that's the number one thing they die from. Oh, right. They die from pneumonia. And people say, oh, they didn't, you know, did they die from the tick? Well, they, they get tick poisoning and then they actually vomit or regurgitate and fluid goes into their lungs. And um, there's a lot more in, it, in all of that, of course, but it's pneumonia is the thing. Okay. So we have to treat them with oxygen, medication, physiotherapy, fluids, you know, all of that. So, David, the other question I have um, as a pet owner, in in summer when we see our dogs and they might be looking, you know, a little bit weak in the, the back legs and that sort of thing, and you're thinking, okay, is it a tick or are they hot? You know, in some cases they can just be a bit tired. But I've been told never give them water if you suspect it could be a tick well, the, the, is that is that yeah, still probably good advice? Okay. Um, in the short term, because the thing is, you you run the risk that they've actually developed paralysis of their larynx and they can't swallow properly. Now the dog doesn't know that. The dog thinks, "Oh, I'm feeling tired or hot," and so their tongue works. So they lap up some water. It gets to the back of their throat, 
and then their far- their larynx doesn't work properly. Right. And so it actually goes into the air- airway. And if people go, oh, they'd know, I'd just say to them, to those people, well, do you actually have to consciously tell your larynx to close when you swallow? No. It's an automatic thing. Yeah. So yeah. if it's blocked, you're not going to know. Okay. It'll just, the water will just go into your lungs. Okay. And what happens is it carries bacteria. They often get megaesophagus. It's estimated something like 70% of, of dogs with tick poisoning actually have a paralysed esophagus. So flu- even if it goes into their esophagus, it actually doesn't reach the stomach. And it just sits there and then they lie on their side and it runs back up and you don't even know and it goes into the back of their throat and back down their airway. And that's how it happens. Wow. So some pretty interesting information that's come out, David. It's, uh, it's fascinating. And look, the, the guidelines, I think, are going to make a big difference to improving the survival of um, dogs and cats with tick poisoning. I think that's the number one thing. It's the preventatives. We don't want to get the animals in in the first place, but when they do, we've now got a better strategy to treating their tick poisoning. Reassuring to Mm. hear. We are talking pet chat. We're going to have a quick break and then we'll be back and we'll look at our dog of the week. Uh, Of course, you can jump online and check out a video. Bicky, she's a two and a half year old greyhound and yes, we do have videos up. I'm very excited about them. You just need to click on more and dog of the week. Do love looking at the dogs and trying to get them homes. And I'll actually update you next week. Um, We've had quite a lot that have been adopted out and have forever homes, ones that we've featured on Two and You Are. So I'll do a bit of an update. Kind of a where are they now? Yes, exactly. And I think that's important because we hear about them each week. People want to hear about that. Mm. Well, Mm. today we've got Bicky. Now, she's a two and a half year old female greyhound. She will greet you with a huge smile every morning. She does have a huge smile. And apparently she chatters away when she's happy and content. Now, she's only two and a half, so she's got a fair bit of bounce. She's she's a big girl, but she also has a lot of sleeping sessions. They love to sleep. They do, don't they? Greyhounds are their couch lounge lizards. Would be kindred spirits, Vicky. (laughs) She loves to explore new places and people and she loves the walk. She does adore humans, adults and children. She gets along with all dogs as well, big and small. So, look, if you want to check Vicky out, you can go to our website, 2NURFM.com, and we do have a great video up. I think that just adds another element, doesn't it, where you can see what they're doing on the video and get a a bit more of an idea about them. So, would love your thoughts. Head to 2NURFM.com. FM.com. Now, the phones were a little bit quiet today, David. I think we're all intimidated now that you, you've won these awards. I told you I'm practising. I'll get it right one day. <laughs> But we are, we've been looking at we've been looking at ticks now. I know that you told me it's a it's a huge subject. There's a lot to explore. Is there anything that you need to add to to what we've been saying? I, for, I forgot to mention earlier because you know we have a lot of new listeners over the years, and, and yes, we do. But the regular listeners who've been with us, I've been on Pet Chat now for this is the eleventh year. Uh, we talk about tick poisoning uh, at this time of year all the time because the reason is that I want people to make sure they get preventatives into their pet. Uh, dogs and cats, and um, prior to the numbers really starting to pick up. But look, we had, I think we've already had three or four cases in our hospital at the emergency centre this week. And, you know, three... Already? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And three weeks ago, maybe one case a week. So it's starting to pick up. Um, You know, it's warmer days. And we were sort of saying, and we won't go into it too much, but there is some sites that say you shouldn't use the preventative because well, they can is, cause... Well, yeah. you know. that, this why That's why I talked about that story about the ventilation of patients from Sydney 
um, and Dr Georgina Child, the veterinary neurologist, saying, look, this is what they... They had like 30 or 40 dogs that they ventilated in the season three years ago. Last year they did two. And, you know, if, if you're 90% successful, which would be a really good effort with ventilating, uh, you know, 80 to 90%, then of those 30 dogs, you know, three to five are going to die. Uh, and then last year they're down to two. I, I just look at that thing. There's so many lives being saved, and that's in one hospital. That's yeah. pretty amazing. In Australia. So I think we have to keep focus on that. And um, just remember, we're dealing with a deadly disease. And uh, one of the problems I have with some of the sites is that um, the information, people have got their gripes, okay. Uh, but, for ex- instance, in the US, there is an Ixodes tick, but they don't have deadly ticks. You know Australia's like the deadliest place on earth. Yes, right. yes, with our animals. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're here, because we're <laughs> the best of the toughest of the lot. Um, so in Australia, if you take your pet off a preventative and it gets a tick, there is a really good chance it can die. And so we're not, we're not mucking around here. This is serious stuff. So preventatives, regular searching, and if you can, stay away from bushy areas. And look, Newcastle, one of the things we love about it is we've got so many great walking trails, so many great places to take your pets. Yeah. So you really got to be careful, um, but just keep it, keep an eye on them. Not as toxic to humans, though. My daughter got a tick. You're going to think I'm a terrible parent. When she was a month old, I oh, nearly wow. died. Yeah. Oh, we, really? Yeah, we took her to the park. We took Max to the park, and I a had month. her. Oh, yeah, a month. I had oh. her all rugged up. Um, Anyway, I was bathing her. It must have been the next day, I think it was, and I've gone, oh, my, yeah. you, you could have imagined I totally flipped you, when they, I... They get a big lump, big reaction around the tick She site. did. It was red and she had a tick, so straight to the, you know, straight away to the doctors and um, they weren't so concerned. I, I, it looked like a paralysis tick to me and I was saying, look, do, do we need... She's so little, is she going to be paralysed? Do we need to do it now? And they're like, it's okay, it's okay, she'll be fine. Yeah. And she was, but they did say that if it was in long enough that, you know, she could lo- she could suffer a little bit of paralysis, but it'll come back. Yeah. The thing I was with, The thing with... Um People is we're less we're not as sensitive. Dogs are very sensitive. Uh, people not as much. And if you take the tick off, you generally get better. But I have heard of cases of. Uh, I remember one story about um, there was a fellow was brought into the John Hunter, and he was a bit of a vagrant, lived out on the streets and in the bush, and um, he wasn't feeling too well, a little bit wobbly. And then when they he had a big bushy beard because he didn't shave, and they found forty ticks in oh, his wow. beard. Forty ticks! Oh my lord! Yeah. So you take them all out, and then he got better. Right. So he wasn't stumbling around, so, you know. <laughs> it, are we able to take the ticks out at home, or should we be... Yeah, good idea to c- get, in, get instruction on that. You yeah. mean for your dog or for your kids? Oh, no, well, more so the dog. I th- th- sort yeah. of thought okay. I'd take Molly straight to the doctors there's and a- they can deal with that. There's, there's actually... You <laughs> she's, can get- she's the girl, not the dog, by the way. <laughs> it's a generic name. <laughs> it's hard to tell. <laughs> She's not the cow either. <laughs> you, you can actually get tick tweezers and tick removers and so on. Look, if you get those, you're best to actually uh, see someone who's trained in their use. They'll give you instruction and you can, you can do that at home. Don't just grab a pair of tweezers and grab the back of a tick and pull it out because you'll often leave a fair bit behind. And that can, they can keep excreting poison. Is if, that true or if, is that a wise Yeah, term? yeah, no. If the mouth parts are there, sometimes they will, but it's actually more it causes a reaction. Okay. So, so should we be trying to get them off our dogs before bringing them into? Yeah, to but you? if you're if you're uncomfortable, 
doing that. And look, I've had a lot of people present and say, oh, I've found this tick on my dog and I've tried to remove it and he's squealing and I can't get it. Now it's bleeding. And, and then they come in and you go, oh, that's a nipple. Oh, <laughs> oh no. That happens a lot. Are you, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awful. i got plenty of stories. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I, I just wanted to mention, though, when you said about um, your daughter... Yes, um, Molly. I don't, look, I don't want to put the fear into you, but there is actually now a um, syndrome that's developing in people. Lyme? So, no. Oh, all right, okay. But where people are developing um, allergy, allergies to meat following tick bites. So you actually can't eat, uh, I'm pretty, like a lot of people talk about beef, and I haven't done any research on this, but I have read about it, that, um, so mammalian meat, so presumably beef and lamb and so on. So just uh, just be aware that, um, you know, when we talk about tick prevention and for ourselves and taking care, we've actually got to keep in mind that, um, you know, it's he- our health, it's our pet's health, that would present pretty health. much straight away, that wouldn't it, if there was a reaction to meat after it? Oh, it, no, I think it comes up later. Okay. Oh, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Look, we're just about out of time. We got a bit carried away talking about our ticks there. It was quite quite interesting. Oh, Cheryl Shaw, thank you so much for coming in. Dr David Tabret, thank you once again. Thank Congratulations you. on your award. Yeah. We think thank you're you. fabulous. And, of course, Pet Chat will be back at same time next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.